Hello, amazing parents and caretakers, and welcome to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. I'm your family empowerment coach, Celia Kibler. I'm a mom of a blended family of five kids. I'm a grandma of nine kids, an author, a teacher, a speaker, and a consultant with over 40 years of training and real-life parenting experience. I'm here to offer you practical, doable tips, strategies, and techniques that will pump up your parenting skills and create peace, love, and laughter throughout your family. In addition, I'll be interviewing some great humans that are on a mission to make your life a better, happier, and healthier life. So let's not waste any time and get started with the next episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Today, we're talking food, and I'm a huge fan, huge fan of food. I, I love food. and But as parents we always seem to enter into some challenge with eating with our children and a lot of times with ourselves. So we come from generations where maybe eating was always an issue and caused dysfunction in our personal lives, our family life, etc. So I am bringing in the expert, Miss Amelia Sherry, and she is a registered and certified dietitian and nutritionist who specializes in working with children and families. She is the founder of nourishher.com. And Amelia, I'd like to welcome you to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Thank you, Celia. And I am right there with you. I love to eat as well. (laughs) Food is yummy. It's just plain (laughs) yummy. And you know, my kids always make fun of me because I never season anything. I don't eat dairy because I'm lactose intolerant and it makes me congested and so they're always making fun of me because they're like anything that tastes good on your food you eliminate and I'm like well no because food actually tastes good like if you like eliminate all the salt and the other stuff that you're tasting and you actually start tasting the food (laughs) it actually is yummy So anyway, get into that. Let's uh, start with why you created Nourish Her. What got you on this passion to help people with the way they eat and the way they teach their children to eat? Sure. Yes. Well, Nourisher, it was born out of my experience working with um, parents and children um, in a large New York hospital. I was focusing um, a lot on helping children with their eating. And um, throughout that, I realized that a lot of parents are also confused and struggling with their own eating. Um, And I myself personally experienced a lot of disordered eating Uh, growing up all the way through almost till my 30s Um, and a lot of that stemmed from dieting and trying to control my weight and I saw that um, a lot in the a lot of the parents and the mothers in particular that I was working with and um, that those sort of fears and anxieties and old habits started creeping in a little bit too and getting in the way of helping um, 
moms with their with their children's eating and I really you know I, I I related to that a lot with my own daughter so nourisher is specifically um, designed to support mothers who have a history of disordered eating or chronic dieting in helping them they don't want to pass those um, experiences and approaches to eating onto their daughter so that's how nourisher was was born it's um, it's personal and professional, and it's um, been really a great, a great experience. I've enjoyed every everything that's come out of it so far. I love that, and uh, it's it's so needed. You know, it's so like the whole um, social media world, advertising world. It's so focused on, and we have gotten better, but it's so focused on this body image that is the image of a model who doesn't, who has their own eating dysfunction and disorder. And then all girls want to achieve this, which is unachievable because we're all built different. Thank goodness we all look different. We're not, you know, robots. And so we all have different body shapes and different, you know, heights and weights and all of this, which makes us all go, you know, round and, and look like our own selves. And can you talk a little bit about how that social pressure to look a certain way also affects us ladies? Yeah, the thin ideal and what we um, refer to as diet culture really interferes with healthy eating um, because it teaches us to take information from outside of our bodies and apply that to our eating, meaning um, how maybe I should eat less or maybe I should only eat um, green foods, things like that, low calorie foods, diet foods, in order to make my body look like some idea, which it likely, genetically speaking, wasn't meant to look like anyway. And um, that is really in conflict with healthy eating. You know, eating is actually a body-led experience. We need to listen to our body. The cues from inside our body should be dictating how little or how much we eat and also be um, dictating, you know, following pleasure with eating and eating food you enjoy, just like you were talking about at the beginning, um, is an important part of eating because if we don't enjoy food, we're not going to continue to seek it out. So if we're forcing ourselves to eat foods that we actually don't like, it can become a conflict over time. Um, you know, you don't want to sit down to a meal and have a lot, all this internal conflict going on, um, whether you like it or not, or you should eat it, or you shouldn't eat it, or should eat more bites of it, or you should, you know, should eat less. You don't want all that. I um, mean, we usually make those decisions because we're trying to make our body fit into some sort of ideal. And I should say that even though Nourisher focuses on mothers and daughters, Dysfunctional eating, disordered eating impacts all genders um, and all gender identities for sure. A lot of this is brought on from our parents and how were we fed. And, you know, back in, in my childhood, which was, you know, 60 some years ago, we always had to clean our plate. There was always that, you know, finish everything on your plate, whatever's on your plate. And then, and then that goes into what I teach parents too about portion size, that a little person does not eat the same portion size an adult does, you know, so you can load up a little person's plate and they can't eat all that at one sitting. You're asking the impossible or you're 
causing them to learn to overeat. And Mm -hmm. so what are some other ways that, you know, you have learned from your childhood that can affect how you teach your kids in their childhood? Well, I could tell you very specifically speaking, and I I come from like a large Italian family. There was a lot of conflict around eating because eating was a very important part of our family time together and the way foods were prepared with special care and whether or not you enjoyed them was a big source um, of discussion. And um, I was getting messages that you need to eat more, you didn't touch it, it's not good. And I was also getting messages from um, from my family and my mother in particular that I should be careful and not eat so much because I would regret it, you know? And it always came from a place of love. I mean, you know, my mother always was trying to protect me because unfortunately we do live in a society, um, particularly as women, where the way we look is way overvalued. However, you know, that was her experience and her perception and she wanted me to fit into this ideal as well. Um, and again, always from a loving, loving place. And I think parents today struggle with that somewhat too. I think we're more aware that dieting and focusing on being leaner and thinner is not a healthy approach or a sustainable approach. And then we also fear for our children when their body type is, you know, if our children is a larger um body or larger than average body for where you're living um, or their friend, their peer group or a smaller body or shorter body as well. We do fear for them because again, unfortunately, our the culture we're living in right now really overvalues the way we look and we want to get away from that. Just being conscious of it is a great step towards that, you know? I agree. Uh, it, it's, it's really goes into also knowing your child which we talk about in so many aspects. I'm always telling parents to, you know, really tune into your child, discover what their passions are, discover what their likes are, and don't pre-predict what they're going to like. Now, I used to teach a healthy eating class for little kids and their parents. And I remember a mom, we were making what I created and called a crunchy roll-up, which was like a a whole grain tortilla filled with granola and honey and berries and what else that put seeds. And, you know, it was, you know, a fun, healthy snack, dessert, whatever. It could be a meal. Depends what you put in it. But I remember a parent to a three-year-old little boy and she says to that little boy, well, she didn't say that to him. She said to me in his presence, my son will never eat that. And in my class, I always encourage the kids to make their food because they tend to eat more when they are involved in the preparation of the meal. And she made it. She didn't let him make it. And she handed it to him and he took it and he threw it in the garbage. And she goes, see, not even interested. And then he didn't say anything. He came back, he made his own and he ate the whole thing up. Wow, and I yeah and he didn't say anything to his mom like he you could tell he was like you know I'm making my own Miss Celia said make my own so (laughs) I did and then he ate it and so often as parents we pre-predict what our kids will like or dislike and it's so important to offer them a variety yes can you talk on that a little bit sure um yeah so we it's 
it helpful to think of eating as a skill that we grow with just like at anything else. So just like you can't predict whether your child is going to like, you know, playing the violin versus playing soccer or is going to like to have friends who are noisy and rambunctious or quiet friends or spend time alone or be so, you know, we can't predict those things. We also can't predict food likes and dislikes and um, tastes or their body size that they're going to eventually be in. Um, so what we want to do is remember that kids do grow with eating. We have to have a lot of confidence in them. And what we're ultimately trying to develop is their own, what we call in research, eating competence. So it's basically their skills with eating. So approaching it from a positive place, um, a place of they don't like it yet or they are learning still, um, just like you would I anything else. And I often, um, with my clients, use the analogy of learning to walk or learning to ride a bike. Every little step you your child takes, you celebrate and think, wow, you don't, and you always have the um, approach of they will get it one day, they will learn. And you don't really question that too much, except for when there is a very, you know, a very serious challenge. But for the most part, um, we approach it with that uh, open-mindedness, and we need to apply that to eating. Um, you wouldn't say, oh, they're never going to get it. They'll never like it. You, you just wouldn't come into it with that attitude. You don't come into walking and riding a bike. So you can think of it like that, and skills do develop over time um, with eating, including likes and dislikes. Yes, there'll be some individual differences. Um, and that's okay, you know, not every adult likes every single food, right? Um, but just understanding and having that confidence and positive attitude can support them so much. And um, in terms of um, tactically speaking, yes, having a variety available without forcing your child to try or, or eat um, a certain amount of certain foods is very helpful. That's, that's just great advice. And it seems like parents get so stressed out over food. They're like, oh, well, if my child doesn't eat, he will starve himself to death and go hungry, which is not true. And, you know, eating then becomes a control that kids have over you. Because if the kids don't feel like they're in control, they're going to create areas that they can control. So how do you help a parent not overstress about what their child is eating, when their child is eating, and, you know, how their child is eating. Yeah, yeah, I think um, many parents, myself included, make the mistake of leaning in in certain areas when we should be leaning out and being more relaxed, and then being more relaxed when we really should lean in. So I'll explain that more specifically. Um, many parents feel like they need to force or pressure or you know, um, somehow get their child to eat, for example, vegetables, or in research, it's also red meat and fish, these foods that we are highly nutritious, yes, um, but we'll apply pressure and say you have to eat it, you have to have it. Um, and we know from research that pressuring to eat certain foods actually has the opposite effect. A child is less likely to try it and also over time less likely to even eat it. In research, it, that last effect lasts all the way into adulthood. Um, so certain foods that were pressured as a child, they're less likely to eat as they get older. So we don't want to pressure. We do want to offer and have it there um, as an option and model it needed, but we don't want to pressure. We want the child to come 
along to it and, and approach it in their own time, just like with taking that first step. We're not going to take their foot, right, and push it. We're going to give an opportunity, a safe place to, to try walking and let them do it. So we want to lean out with the actual um, witch foods, right? And we also want to lean out with how much. The child needs to decide how much based on information from inside their body. We don't need to interfere as long as your child's maintaining their growth curve and the pediatrician will be monitoring that, then you're good, you're fine. You don't need to micromanage that part, even though we feel compelled to, from my opinion, mostly from diet culture telling us eat only this much, you know, should eat that much and only eat this food and that we don't need to go in with that pressure. Where we do want to lean in is with uh, what I call structure. Um, and that means the structure of meals, meaning we're going to eat at this time, we're going to eat at this place, doesn't have to be the same place, but just a routine to eating. Um, and you apply that to meals to whatever extent you can, you know, based on your life circumstances and snacks. That predictability gives kids that framework and opportunity to, to take a risk and try a new food. Um, because they know or to eat a little less today, then they realize, oh, if I don't eat enough at snack, you know, dinner isn't coming, I'm going to get hungry. They learn that skill in time, but they need that, we, you know, reliability, predictability um, in order to develop those other eating skills, meaning food flexibility, trying things, eating the exact right amount for them. Unfortunately, in our culture, prioritizing meals and meal structure that's, that is not on the agenda for most of us, right? We feel like it's impossible, it's too much because of our schedules. Um, but that's something that I think parents can really, um, if they want to lean in and really bear down, and that is a place to do it, and feeling more relaxed about what the child actually does when they come to the table is going to score really high in terms of helping your child come along with their eating. I agree. And I, I think that's that's you know, clarifies a lot of it and gives parents, you know, tools to think about so that they stop pressuring so much and worrying so much. And, you know, recognizing that, you know, when your child is full, they're full. And, and, and the importance of that you brought up of making sure they're growing, they're sleeping well, if they're gaining weight and they're sleeping well, and they're growing, chances are they've had enough to eat. I, I, parents so often, because when they're infants, they give them a bottle before bed, they keep that habit going. They're afraid their child won't eat if they don't have a meal be right before bed. Or they're waking up in the middle of the night and they're still feeding them and they're two years old. And they, I always ask parents, are you hungry in the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. I mean, you may be once in a while, but not certainly not every night. Right. And so those kind of habits that we even bring to our children from when they were infants, we don't give up because of our own fear that they won't eat enough, they won't sleep enough. And we it's hard to break that from the parent. Now, it's usually not too hard to break it from the child. It's more a parent habit you have to mm -hmm. break. Yeah, it's but usually... It's usually fear-based, right? Um, just worrying about them. And like I said, it always comes from a great a great place. Exactly. Um, but we, 
ultimately want to have our child feel like they're good at eating. I know you're talking about a younger child, but that they have skills. And older. Right. They, yeah. They want, you want to help them feel like this is something they're good at and that they're getting better at, not this is hard and you're not doing a great job. Right. Um, yeah, I have some more tips about, I just thought of two things about feeling more relaxed about Go food. Go ahead. Keep going. Um, Love it. Let's share some research just to help anyone who's thinking, yeah, but I can't, I can't let my child, you know, not. Um, one thing is that research shows that um, families who eat together have children who are better, are healthier metabolically, they're, they're um, lower blood pressure, better lipid panel. They also eat more nutritionally um, diverse meals, so they have more uh, higher nutrient intakes, right? Um, they also do better socially. They have better less conflict amongst peers. They do better on tests. There's a whole host of, of um, studies that show positive um, benefits of eating together. And what I want to point out is that those studies show those benefits, even health and nutritionally speaking, irregardless of what is actually served. So there's no magic food that needs to come to the table. It's the act of coming together and to feel more relaxed. Just remind yourself, hey, you know what? I made frozen this, that, or other. Or I picked it up. That is okay. You are feeding your child. You are making it a priority. You are sitting and listening to them. You are giving them a great gift, and it does have a positive impact on their health and their eating. Many parents tell me that they don't want to eat together they, because it's too stressful like to come up with a healthy meal. They're feeling bad about what they're offering. And I want you to, I want parents to know that they don't need to feel bad. They just need just that act of coming together. And the more meals you can do per week, the better. If you can do dinners, if you can do breakfast, if you do, do dinner and breakfast, look at what you're capable of and move towards more in time if you can. Um, and the other, the other thing is vegetables. Parents are always telling me their children don't eat enough vegetables and they're very worried about it. Um, it is important to remember, many kids do like fruits. So first of all, the vitamins and minerals in vegetables and fruits are um, can be identified sometimes by color. So eating a lot of color in the diet still gets you that vitamin C, the potassium, um, magnesium, all the things. So making sure your ch if your child's eating fruit and you can definitely plate that at dinner and lunch it doesn't have to just be snack or breakfast that can help your child get um the vitamins that they need you know it doesn't variety is the helpful thing so it doesn't always have to be you know a green vegetable and if they're not eating that they're not eating healthy that's just not true okay um fruit what I'm saying, I guess, is that fruit is just as nutritious and okay to serve whenever you feel like it, you know, to put it on the plate. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought up, you know, family meals because I was going to too. And, you know, and another thing to realize with family meals is that there is a natural uh, communication that happens between each of you. And for those of us that want to eat less, no better way to eat less than at a family meal, because number one, you're not sitting in front of the TV, focused on TV and not focused on what you're putting in your mouth. Number two, there's conversation. So the amount you're eating is naturally slowed by conversation. Your brain recognizes fullness in a faster time because 
you're taking breaks. And instead of just shoveling food in your face, you know, you'll take a break, you'll talk for 15 minutes, takes 20 minutes to register that you've eaten enough. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I'm kind of full now. So yeah. all of these fad diets, all these ways we try not to eat, conversation at the dinner table, which of course builds bridges of conversation to each of us and it's calm communication, it's right there. You just have to put yourselves together and do it, you mm -hmm. know? And and like you say, for any meal, it doesn't matter if you, you ordered in or you made a meal or you didn't make a meal. It's put your family together, get away from the screen and let the entertainment be, be each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you bring up a great point about the meal being relaxed. That's another reason that you don't want to over-focus on what and how much your child's eating. You, When you do that, there's certain tension arises. Your parent, your child knows you're watching them, right? So um, you don't want to do that. You want to make it more relaxed and let your child feel like you're open to eating. They can eat what they want and how much, and you trust them. That relaxed feeling actually helps us tune back into our body and eat. Sometimes you maybe, you know, want to eat more and some less, but you really need to be able to tune in to your body. So not necessarily like, oh, we come to the table so we eat less, but that we eat the amount that is right for us because we are calm and we feel um, peaceful and in tune with our body sensations. Um, and it's just a positive trusting environment as opposed to, oh no, I'm not good at this, I'm not doing it right. You know, we don't want that to happen. Exactly. And, and another aspect of eating together is being able to role model good eating habits, U utensil usage and, and trying different foods and sharing and, and, you know, being open to, to seeing how we eat and have conversation and relate to each other. Because very often parents will complain plain to me that, oh, my child has terrible eating habits and I can't even get them to use a utensil or, you know, they're doing something and they're getting mad and they're getting angry and, and they're not focused on their food or they're watching a screen. And I'm like, sit down and eat with their child. They'll enjoy the connection. They'll see how you're eating. They always model our behavior. We are their strongest role models. So give them something to model. If you're having difficulty eating, that a lot of times their difficulty with eating, whether they're young or old, is their need for your attention. So sit down and eat with them. Enjoy a meal together. It makes such a difference. So I want to also bring up something else, and that is sugar. And there's so much sugar, 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 and it's delicious. Let's face it, you know, it's sweet, it's yummy. And snacks, snacks, people don't even realize, I know I'm filling this question with too many things, but like people don't even realize that snacks don't have to be potato chips and cookies. They could be leftovers from the meal the night before. So anyway, would you address sugar a little bit? Sure. Um, so first of all, I just want to say we don't have a lot of, evidence that sugar is actually addictive in the way that other um, substances are. So I want to just dispel that myth. And um, I know a lot of people are very attached to it. And it, it does, I think, cause a lot of fear. Um, 
One reason that we do want to be concerned about sugar is that when a child's diet contains a lot of sugar, it crowds out room for other foods that have other nutrients. And I'm not even going to say they're better because we all need sugar as a carbohydrate and we need carbohydrates to function. It's very important. However, um, if the diet is a lot of foods that have a lot of sugar and not a lot of other nutrients, that can have problems. However, I think the main problem is that from my perspective in counseling families is that they're terrified of sugar and they um, go to great lengths to restrict it. Or if the child eats it, they go to great lengths to make sure the child knows that is not good for you because they're f afraid. Um, and I think that you get a lot more benefit by going the other way, which is allowing foods that have sugar in the diet um, so that your child can A, enjoy them. They are pleasurable, just like you said. I'm a huge sweet tooth myself. And enjoy them in a way that is balanced and makes sense. Um, so, for example, I know we can't get into a lot of meal planning here, um, but in the course I teach, we talk about how to roll, say, an Oreo cookie or, you know, whatever your child is very uh, focused on is the food I would say go for the most because what we're trying to do is neutralize the feeling towards this food so that when they are faced with it in the real world, and yes, they're going to be on their own one day, right? Um, that they know how to enjoy it and then also enjoy other foods. Going back to that, the more you restrict something, the more you are drawn to it and the more likely you are to overeat it when you have the opportunity. That's shown in research. Many people can relate to that. Um, so I, I go sort of the other way, which is to say, let's you know expose our children to these sugary foods let's include them in a diet in a balanced way and ultimately what we're looking for is to make these foods more neutral so that they're not on this elevated you know think about it it's restricted so we want to eat it more and also we're feel very intense guilt about it because we're told it's so bad for us you know um, so we want to get away from all of that, all of those emotions, and just be and more a little more indifferent. I enjoy it. I also enjoy, you know, spinach and apples and tuna, whatever it is that you like. You know, um, what do you think about that, Cecilia? I, I so agree. And if you don't make it an issue, the, everything is good in balance and moderation. You know, and I remember with my kids, they would go trick or treating. And I have five kids and they would have pillowcases, of course, when they were older, <laughs> filled with candy. And literally at uh, during Halloween, they could have five or six pieces of their candy. And that was like it for the night. And I literally will put out a bowl of candy for people that come in to like get rid of it. So people can visit, take the candy with you. There it is. We have like gallons of it. But you know, that candy, because I never made an issue out of it and they were allowed to have it randomly, you know, it was there. But our Halloween candy always lasted from year to year. I had tons of Halloween candy left over and thank goodness they created these places where you can donate candy for the military and stuff like that. Because I, I sometimes I would just throw it all out. I didn't know what to do with all that candy. You know, but I also remember my my cousins were always restricted. 
on even like potato chips and things like that. And I remember when we were kids, they would come to my house where there, there was potato chips and crackers and candy, whatever. And they would just gorge themselves with it because they were never allowed it at home. And so, you know, I definitely agree that there's, there needs to be a moderation there again, the fear comes into it, like we talked about before. And I think that's the case in any lifestyle is that there's moderation for everything. And if you love something, you truly love something, never eliminate it. I mean, give yourself permission to have it in moderation. Let's talk about one more thing. And that is things that you can do to make your family more interested in the creativity of food, because I think that is such a joy for children, learning how to cook, going food shopping, taking that experience and, and learning about food labels, things like that. Like food can be such a pleasure for adults and for children so that you eliminate these fears, you eliminate the stress of eating and you start making it a really fun ex family experience. So can you talk on that a little bit? Well, I think you said it all right there. I mean, there's research that shows that children who participate in cooking and food preparation have a bigger palate. They're more likely to eat a larger variety of foods. Um, we do need to apply the same principle. So even though your child um, maybe you're involving them in the food prep and like you said, the food shopping, you know, you when it comes time to eat, we still don't want to apply pressure that they have to eat it. And I've had that experience with many of my clients and my own children where they would be very interested in making things, um, but not so, so interested in eating it at first. Um, but the food prep, the reason that that works so well is because smelling foods, touching foods, um, seeing how they change texture, all of that is an, ex, um, an experience with food that helps them feel more trust around it, more calm around it. You know, a child might want to try something, you know, chew it up and spit it out. That's what we call an exposure, and that brings them closer to one day possibly eating it in a, you know, in a positive way. Um, but there's two benefits. One, when you include children, is to help expose them to food, so ultimately increase their palate, which would ultimately increase their nutritional intake, right? The other is that you're giving them a great life skill. I can't tell you how many kids I've met who are you come see me after their first year of college and explain, you know, they don't know how, they can't prepare anything. So sometimes they have a kitchen and, you know, or a food allergy or something and they have to prepare their food and they're just not ready for it. You are teaching them at a young age that preparing food um, is an important life skill and it's something to prioritize in life. It's something, listen, they're gonna be eating three or four times a day every day for the rest of their life. It makes sense that they know how to prepare a meal. It's also more time together. I know with young children, it's very, it can be very frustrating because it means more work for mom or dad or whomever is um, caring for the child. Um, but it, there are many benefits. So if you can tolerate some extra mass and some extra time, even if it's just once a week, I highly recommend it and have fun with it. You know, I have a lot to learn, you know, in terms of being okay with stuff spilling all over the floor, 
you know, um, but just remind yourself that your, your child's getting a lot out of it now and for years to come. Yes. And you're instilling confidence in your child and you're sending them the message that, you know what, you can do this. I believe in you. So come over and dump this box of whatever into this bowl, stir it up. I mean, even like you mentioned, little kids, there's always something a little kid can do. You can give them a wooden spoon and they can stir it. You can hold the bowl. I mean, you know, if you're worried about it spilling, hold the bowl, let them do the stirring. They only want to feel big. And when you let them help, when they want to help, you encourage a lifetime of helping. If you're always turning your child away and they're like, oh, can I help do this? And you're like, no, 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 it's okay. I got this. Go play, go play, go play. Eventually, when you want your child to help, they're not going to because they're going to be like, well, I volunteer. You, you never let me help. So even at the youngest age, like you said, bring them in, let them do something. There is always something a little kid can help with. And then they will get more skills, more involved. I, I uh, did a podcast with a chef. His name's Chef Kibby. And one of the first trainings he does for cooking with kids is using knives. And he highly recommends you teach your child how to use a knife. Don't be afraid that they're going to stab themselves. I mean, clearly that's a fear. And you know, I was like the queen of being accident prone as a child, but you have to teach them, like you said, skills. There are so many skills that surround eating and food and diet. Don't be afraid to teach them because isn't it nice to come home and your nine-year-old cooked a meal? How great would that be? You know, and you'd be like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> now I do not have to cook a meal, you know, and, and those are things that happen when you give children the opportunity to learn. One more thing, Amelia, and that is thank you for being here and offering all your wisdom. There are so many tips our listeners got out of this. Do you have like one more, one more little bonus <laughs> of wisdom that you want to inspire our listeners so that they can bring it home and, and get their kids eating well, eating happily without all the stress. Sure. Can I give two? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, give first, as many as you want, please. The first one is just to relax. Remind yourself when you start to fear, feel for, fearful or concerned that the more relaxed and structured you can be about eating the healthier the emotionally socially and physically your child and you are going to be okay so give yourself a pat on the back give yourself a lot of credit you've brought your child this far they are nourished they are eating you've shown up for all these meals and just relax you just need to show up okay again to the meal and give yourself a break so just Keep that in mind when the voices um, start coming. You know, this isn't healthy enough or I didn't do it right. Just give yourself a pat on the back and remember, I'm telling you, just relax. Just be with your child and show up. The second tip is more what I focus on in my work, which is to avoid dieting and to avoid talking about your weight. 
um, or talking about eating in a way to lose weight or maintain weight. I have a book coming out called Diet Proof Your Daughter. I work on this primarily through Nourisher, which is to help protect our children from diet culture and the pressure to diet and eat in a certain way, to look a certain way. So the number one way you can do that at home is to look at yourself and think, am I inadvertently you know, passing the message on to my daughter, my son, my nieces and my nephews that weight is important and something to be concerned about. You want to avoid saying the word weight, talking about eating in a way to maintain weight and talking about dieting. Always refocus um, your eating on the pleasure of being together, the way things taste, um, and when you're talking to your children on their inner qualities, you know, not what they look like, but everything that they are. You're so brave. You're so, you know, smart. I love how you helped out today with the food. You're so kind. Um, you can really make a huge difference in your child's relationship to food by making those little tweaks right, right there. And it seems like overly simplified, but instead of focusing on how many green vegetables, if you focus on your attitude towards food and neutralizing things, your, your child's just going to go and grow so much more, have such a better, more grounded relationship with food. Um, I truly believe that. I love, 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 love those tips. I love that. Give yourself grace. Love it. And, and don't like, don't go, oh, I'm so fat. Why am I so fat? Like, don't even talk about that whole thing. Be positive. You know, give them good affirmations to live by. Start, start talking about affirmations. I am whatever, followed by a positive statement. It is just wonderful advice. Wonderful, yeah, wonderful. I I'll tell you, so many of the mothers I work with have had trouble giving up dieting and accepting themselves um, for the beautiful person that they are. They have trouble doing that. And then when they become a parent and see their daughter sort of approaching puberty and starting to notice her own body and her looks, they are so much more willing to put the dieting and the worry aside for the sake of their daughter. So if you have been having trouble, you know, we're, we, we don't do things ourselves that we are willing to do for our children, right? So if you can't just accept yourself for yourself, which I hope you can, do it for your children. Be more accepting of yourself so that your child learns that skill. Um, she or he, as they get older, they are not flawed because they don't meet a certain ideal. And um, yeah, if you can't, if you can't get there on your own, which you totally deserve to, just Think about it from um, what the gift you're giving your your daughter by doing that. Yep. That goes back to the whole role model thing. You know, we are role modeling everything to our children, the good and the bad. And whatever you do, good or not so good, you give your children permission to do. So if you're walking around criti being critical of yourself, you are teaching them to be critical of themselves. So... I've loved this conversation, Amelia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom to our listeners. I know, I, I know you've changed a few lives with whoever is listening today and making them think differently about how they present food in their house, how they present their own selves in their house and what they are giving to their children. So thank you so much. 
would you take a minute? I know you mentioned your book coming out, Diet Proof Your Daughter, but would you mention um, how people can reach out to you and connect to you to learn more? Sure, I'd love to. You can go to nourishher.com. So it's nourish her with two H's, but all one word, nourishher.com. Um, and you can find there's a free audio guide there, six simple strategies for protecting your daughter from diet culture. Again, it, it, it's applicable to any child, um, not just girls. Um, it's mostly helpful for moms and parents. Um, and you, if you're interested in the book, there'll be a link on that page as well. There's some other free resources. And you can um, always just Google me, Amelia Sherry, and you can email me directly. I love to um, hear from people. I offer a free, a free call for a consult. Um, if you're looking for some advice as to, you know, what other resources you can use um, and whether, you know, counseling, coaching is right for you. Um, that's it. Yeah. At nourishher.com. And I'd love to meet any of your listeners and I'd be so happy of it if what I had to say was helpful. Oh, I know it was. And I will also put those links in the description of the podcast. And, you know, we all know people who are struggling and feeling challenged with diets and, and what's out there and our kids and how they're growing up and what they're thinking. So I guarantee you, every one of you knows someone who needs help with this. So please share this podcast out to them. Give them just a little time to find a little wisdom that they hadn't thought about before. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Amelia, for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure. And to all of you out there, if you're, you need help with whatever you're dealing with, reach out to Amelia, reach out to me. That's what we're here for. We're here to help you become the best you can be so you can create children that become the best that they can be. So in the meantime, guys, I thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day and spending it here with us. I'm very grateful. Leave a comment if you loved it, share it out and pay it forward to someone you know who needs to hear a little bit of this information as well. And as always, I wish you days filled with peace, love, tons of laughter. Keep laughing with those kids. Stuff is funny. Create something that's really funny. I could tell you stories all day about my baking flops. <laughs> but in the meantime, laugh more, enjoy more, eat more. Yay, we love food. And we'll see you here next time on the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Be sure to head over to pumpeduppparenting.com to grab your free copy of the Patient's Playbook. Wishing there was a manual for your toddler? Well, good news, now there is. You can pick up your copy of Raising Happy Toddlers, How to Build Great Parenting Skills and Stop Yelling at Your Kids, my newest release on Amazon today. Tune in next time for more tips, advice, and strategies as you continue to pump up your parenting and create childhoods that everyone can blossom from. Have yourself a really fun day. Bye-bye.